0: Well, if we do have a discussion about coronavirus, I would like to talk about the impact it's had on Corona. <laughs>
1: we talked about that earlier. Thirty percent of Americans won't buy Corona beer because of the coronavirus. <gasps> and welcome to Let's Pod This. My name is Andy Moore and on today's show we're going to discuss next week's presidential primary election here in Oklahoma. How it may play out in our state. But first we want to spend a few minutes talking about the process of lawmaking. Specifically the process for how laws are made in our state or enacted in our state both inside and outside the legislature. And um and a few of those rare hybrid processes known as joint resolutions. Uh, joining me this week are Bailey Perkins. Hello, ma'am. Hello. How are you?
0: I am glad it's Friday. Amen. Well, I guess right now, not necessarily when people are listening. but Yeah, it's Friday right when it's we're Friday. recording.
1: Yes. It's Friday somewhere, 5 yes. o'clock somewhere. Uh, also, Dr. Scott Melson, hello, sir. What's sure, up, ma'am? Not much. Good to see you.
2: Likewise. <laughs> I, haven't, <laughs> and, I haven't died of coronavirus yet. That's
1: good. I, you were coughing earlier, so I, <laughs> I, I apologize to listeners. I didn't get all the coughs edited out last week. So
2: you, I'll, I'll try not to cough so much this week.
1: Be sure to wash your ears. And uh, joining us new on the mic this week is, well, you were on a couple of weeks ago when I wasn't here, but Intern Neil. Hello,
2: Neil. Hi, everybody. Thanks for being here. All right. Would you rather be called Intern Neil or Neil the Intern?
3: Oh. Uh, I I think Neil the intern. That sounds sounds good. Sounds better.
1: Neil the intern. Neil the intern. All right. Can we get some
2: we project? We need to get some music for Neil the intern.
1: Yeah, next week. By next week, Neil, here's your assignment. What is your theme music or sound effect? I'm not going to use a sad trombone. That's already taken. (laughs) Sorry. And our reggae music is already taken for discussions of medical marijuana. All right. Um, So discuss, yeah, this is before your time. We have all kinds of special music on this show. We need special intern music. Um, So to start this week, um, the Oklahoma legislature, we've passed the first committee deadline. I guess technically it's today as we're recording. Are they in session right now as we're recording? Yes. Things are happening. Um, One of these days we should do like a live, like a mystery science theater 3000 style where we, I can, we'll get a, a bigger screen in here and we can just watch it and then commentate no one wants to listen to that but it would be fun (laughs) maybe we just do it as a as a live event um so this week today is the the first committee deadline um today's deadline means that all of the bills have to pass out of the committee the committee of their chamber of origin so all the house bills have to pass out of the house committees all of the senate bills have to pass out of the senate committees and i think Many folks assume that yesterday was the deadline, but is it actually today, Bailey? It is actually today. Because, well, you know... The
0: rules committee's meeting today.
1: No.
2: Because usually it's on a Thursday. But... Because usually they gavel out on right.
1: Thursday. But they didn't this week? No. Trying to get stuff done. Yep. Well, what's interesting about that, and we'll talk about this a lot uh, <clears throat> during this episode, is that, you know, every morning, Sean Ashley from E-Capital, who I think we all have immense respect for, does an early bird uh, Twitter... Twitter thread sometimes. Dude, dude's a beast. It used to be around 6.30. It's around 5 o'clock this year. Yeah. Have you noticed it's yeah. earlier? Yeah. I haven't called him out yet, but I, until now, I guess. I'm, I'll tweet at him. I, maybe he's got a new exercise routine in the morning as he leaves his cave under the stairs. <laughs> in the Capitol. Yeah, he said he just moved into the Capitol. And so he has to navigate the construction. That's probably the, the dilemma. Well, anyway, he said this morning that we started with... Uh, 4,560 bills and joint resolutions that were eligible to be heard this session, and we're down to fewer than half of that. We're under 1,700, and, and after today, it'll be even a little bit lower. Um, so let's, let's start this episode by talking as a refresher for our new listeners, both of them, um, about how a bill becomes a law, or how a, how a law is made in Oklahoma. And first, we'll talk about quote, the normal way, right? So how a bill becomes a law through the legislature. Bailey, I'm going to start with you. Give us an overview of where bills come from in the first place. Where Where are the ideas born?
0: Sure. There's a number of places where bills come from. So they can come in the form of a legislators burning idea that they brought from the campaign trail when hunk they were saying burning <laughs> law. But <laughs> they said, you know, this is the thing that's a problem that I've wanted to address or this is something that's affected my community that I've heard from other people that I want to make a law about. Mm-hmm. Um the other way that they could get ideas for legislation are through um the public. Um, So that's in the form of constituents saying we ought to have a law about X. Um, It could come in the form of organizations saying we need to have a law about this or companies talking about this is how, you know, this part of legislation affects us, so we need this fixed. It could also come from even agencies themselves of telling lawmakers, here's a problem that's happening in our agency, and here's what you could do to fix it legislatively. Mm -hmm. Um, The other piece that legislation can come from is from, they call it um, model legislation. So model legislation um, is a term that references bills that come from other states Like they were modeled
1: after another state or after some other legislation that's out there?
0: Absolutely. So there are national organizations that have ideas of what should be happening state to state. And so those ideas will circulate um, throughout the country. And so you'll see in eight states talking about a bill that addresses X issue in the same way. Mm -hmm. And so um, lawmakers can get them from um, organizations that they trust. Um, or they can get them from other lawmakers so many lawmakers participate in the um I believe it's the american, national
2: american legislative exchange council well that's yeah,
0: one I, think... I was going to mention um ncsl and i'm trying to yeah, remember yeah. what the specific...
1: national um, yes um, of state legislatures yes the c yeah. is council, like of, council. Yeah, yeah, yes
0: yeah. and so
3: conference Conference.
1: Conference, oh.
0: that's the word. Thank you, Thank you. Neil the intern. Woo-hoo. Yeah, because my brain was not working on that C today. <laughs> um, but many lawmakers participate in that forum, and they'll talk about ideas of legislation there, and sometimes lawmakers are like, that's a great idea. I want to bring that back to Oklahoma, and they'll file legislation in that way. And so there's just a number of ways that lawmakers can find ideas and, and put things to paper to file as laws.
1: Right. So I've also heard model legislation referred to as Cut and paste, or copy and paste legislation. Absolutely. And somebody did a report on that last year, year before last. Oklahoma Watch, or somebody, that Oklahoma is one of the states with the highest rate of a of use of these quote copy and paste bills. To be clear, legislators will copy and paste good bills and bad bills.
0: Absolutely.
1: It feels like it's more bad than good, just off the cuff. But maybe I'm not aware of all the good ones.
2: Well, I mean, I mean, I think it's there's a little bit of subjectivity there, right? Like. There are bills that I would say are terrible that are cut and paste Mm -hmm. bills that, you know, a big chunk of Oklahomans would say, you know what? That sounds like a pretty daggum good idea. You know, they did that in Alabama. We should do that here, right? There are bills that I would think are fantastic pieces of legislation that we might have gotten from another state that, you know, a substantial number of Oklahomans might disagree with me about and say, hey, uh, they can be doing that stuff in California, but uh, we don't need any of that nonsense here in Oklahoma, right? So. Like now, then there are other pieces of of, of legislation that are like objectively bad. Um, that I think most people, no matter what side of the aisle you're on, would would say are not good governance. Um, and those can come from anywhere. <laughs> like right. those can be those can be cut and paste bills. They can come from a, a legislator. So they can be the brainchild of an individual legislator or uh, from a constituent. But um, there's no shortage of places for. Bad laws. Yeah.
0: When it's not just bills, but it's also even some of the um, state questions or initiative petitions that we see. Right. Um, Many of them are um, from national organizations that say, hey, or for different causes that say, hey, we need a law about X. And they're putting it on the ballot in different states to address whatever issue. And so.
1: Well, and we'll talk about initiative petitions later in the episode, but I, on that note, like, just because it's relevant, right, so I think listeners know that I'm running a ballot initiative campaign for an independent redistricting commission, which has been done in other states, and so we get a lot of questions and, and honestly accusations, right, from the opposition that this is one of those things where it's going state to state, and that's not the case. Um, it was an idea that, that a lot of states were thinking about, right, let's fix this, has been talking about this for more than a year, the League of Women Voters has been working on this for like 20 years. When we set about writing the policy, we looked at other states that have them and other similar petitions, states that already had commissions, to like look for best practices. We talked to, you know, organizations and that do research on this to kind of figure out like, well, what's the best way, like what works, what doesn't, and what makes the most sense for our state. And so in that way, it was not, People said was well, this modeled after anybody else? Like, no, it's not modeled after anybody. It's similar to some. Like Michigan is one that's similar to because Michigan started the same way. Like, I think as I've learned since you know, we we launched this, and then you know people reached out, and um, Scott and I got to talk to Katie Fahey, who was the girl that ran the Michigan campaign, and her story is very with with their thing is very similar to mine with Let's Fix This, um, that it was a grassroots thing that she did by doing a Facebook post and it took off unexpectedly. Um, and so just because things look similar doesn't mean they always are similar. Anyway.
0: Well, I'm glad that you brought that up because it's important for our listeners to remember that our States are laboratories for democracy and having the ability to hear from other States and different campaigns on issues allows us to see how did that work in this state, Mm -hmm. right? What did it look like? Um, What were the challenges and barriers that um, the folks running that campaign or when it was passed, you know, after implementation, what were some of the challenges that um, folks ran into when it was time for implementation so that way you're able to figure out how can we make this thing work in Oklahoma to address the need that needs to be met but do it in a way that fits for Oklahoma so. right
1: it's always funny to me too that you know on any given piece of legislation people will say this is already a law in 12 other states we're not first and then the next thing they'll be like only 12 states have this like we're one of, and so the numbers are the the rules are made up and the points don't matter right Scott um real quick give us the like run through of the basics of the steps that a bill would go through in the legislature and. With the caveat that there's a bunch of teeny in between steps. Yes, lots yeah. of and lots of asterisks of like other circuitous routes that they can take. But
2: what's yeah. the what's the most simple? So generally speaking, and this is we're going to just talk about like house bills or senate bills. This is not joint resolutions or concurrent resolutions or those sorts of things. Right, those right? are all the asterisks. <clears throat> and this is also not the budget. But let's just say, so that's <laughs> right. like oh, that's a whole other thing. So assuming it's not a joint resolution, not a concurrent resolution, and not the budget um it's just a bill a law so what would happen is you'll have a legislator and they get an idea from somewhere maybe it's from their own brain a constituent oh, like a, like just one of those idea. places right and they have this idea like we need to say that um you know all you know trucks in Oklahoma have to have four wheel drive okay so they'll get together somebody to write the language and the language can come either from like a lawyer or a staffer in their office or they can find the language from somewhere else. Maybe they get the language from the lawyers for the truck manufacturers association. Mm -hmm. Okay. And they put together a law and then they present, they file the bill before the session starts. So they have a filing deadline where they have to put out there all the, all the pieces of legislation that they want to, that they want to run. Um, then the bill will get assigned to a committee. Um, there's, you know, there's the house like public health committee. There's the house, uh, HHS committee there's the house rules committee there's the budget I mean there's there's lots of different committees and depending on the nature of the legislation what it's dealing with will determine where it gets put
0: and I'll make a plug if you visit OK you can click on either the house or the Senate side to see what all committees exist mm-hmm. and who's on those committees
2: mm-hmm. Then when it gets assigned to a committee, the next, the next, the kind of, I guess the first big hurdle that a bill has to overcome once it's been assigned to a committee is there has to be a determination whether it's going to actually get a hearing, right? So like not all bills will be heard once they've been put into a committee. Mm -hmm. Um, Reasons why you wouldn't hear a bill, maybe the chair of that committee or the leadership of the chamber of origin doesn't want the bill, right? They don't like it. They don't want it. We're not going to do this. So they can just decide we're not going to hear it. Um, The next possibility would be that you know maybe it's a bill that doesn't it's not it's not a high priority right like maybe it gets assigned to public the House Committee on Public Safety and they've just decided you know we've got two hundred bills assigned to our committee and trucks being four by fours is just not something that's a priority so sorry it's not that we don't like the bill we just don't have time but assuming the bill gets heard and it passes out of the committee um, it will then go to the floor of the House in this case. Has to pass the House. This happens roughly like now, like so today. Like Andy mentioned earlier, is the deadline where bills have to pass out of committee that to which they've been assigned in their chamber of origin, right? So let's say our truck bill passes out of the House Public Safety Committee, and then it's going to go over to the Senate, and in the Senate it's going to be in a committee as well. Um, oftentimes, Bailey, tell me if I'm wrong. They don't always get assigned like because the committees aren't exactly the same on either side, are they?
0: They're not. Yeah. Um, especially because. There's fewer senators, senators than there are House members. So, some of the Senate committees are hybrids of some of the mm-hmm. House committees. Yeah. So,
2: it's not exactly analogous. Like, so it's going to go to the Senate and get put in a Senate committee. Then it's got to pass out of that committee. Um, and it's got to do so without being amended, okay, without being changed. So, assuming it goes to the Senate committee, assuming it gets heard, assuming it gets passed and it's not amended, then it's got to pass the Senate floor. Right. It does all that. It's got to go to the governor's desk and then the governor got to sign it right? right now. There's like a million things that can happen in that process that change it or muck it up in some way or another, but that's the basic, but there's issues of title, there's issues of amendments, committee substitutions. Um, there's all kind of stuff that can kind of change how that process works, um, which allows legislators to, you know, move a bill through the process mm-hmm. without, without it kind of, automatically go into the governor once it's once passed. You can do that by taking the title off of the bill. Mm-hmm. Um, there's stuff that you can do to you know, say a bill passes the House and the Senate It's like, man, now we have to deal with this. Mm-hmm. Um, it, politically, it would be a bad look if we don't pass it, uh, but we don't like the policy. So we're going to add an amendment to it that we know the House won't like. And then when it gets amended, it'll go back to the House, and then the House has to pass it again and see if they can stomach the amendment, although the author has to agree to the amendment, Right. Um, It just gets very, it's very complicated. It's it's really I always
0: compare it to um, an elimination game show to help give a visual of what- Yeah, that's a
2: great analogy.
0: The process looks like. Um, I always compare when I do um, workshops on on advocacy and, and how things work at the Capitol. I compare it to American Idol because you begin with all of these different folks going to all of these different cities across the country, vying to be the next American Idol. It doesn't mean that those bills are going to move forward. It doesn't mean that the person auditioning you know, in these communities are going to be the next American Idol. There's mm-hmm. levels of going right. through the judges and um, processes and votes that happen in between to narrow it down. I heard a statistic that about 17% of bills last session mm-hmm. actually made it to the governor's desk. So it's an intentional process of weeding out legislation in a way to be deliberate in decision-making.
1: Right. And I think that's a good analogy because much like American Idol, at least the last season I watched, which was probably 10 years ago, there's also ways to save bills, right? So even if your bill didn't pass out of a committee or something, they can, there's some um, legislative shenanigans, or there's some, I guess, appropriate, whatever the word is, but there's ways to save it and they can, say like, well, we'll reserve it or it'll stay the property of this committee. Uh, It can be held over year to year sometimes. And in some cases, it can just be held on and then reassigned to another committee. And then it can, even bills we thought were dead can be um, held for reconsideration, which means they can be brought up again way later in session, even in a committee that has nothing to do with the bill seemingly. And they can like, amend it by injecting other language into it, and we like to refer to those as zombie bills.
2: Yeah, and uh, I do love the zombie bills. It gets exciting at the end of session every year to see what's going to come roaring back that you thought has been dead for six weeks, but um, one thing I would say that, you know, a big topic of discussion in Oklahoma politics, and Oklahoma governance for, I mean, for several years, but especially in the last 18 months, um, has been this idea of efficiency, Right. We want to improve the efficiency of the government and talking about the process of how legislation works its way through. I think is a really good illustration about how, of how there are times in government that government is very inefficient by design, right? Mm -hmm. Like the most efficient way to make a law would be to have one person. You could call them a King or an emperor say, this is the law. And I have decided that's super efficient. I think we would all agree it's probably not good. So that's like executive orders. We hear about that sometimes, right? Right. But um, this is a process where it is, it is very inefficient at times, but that's supposed to be in the public interest because the slowness and inefficiency of the process allows multiple checks to make sure that the, the, the interests of the public are being... Well, it's supposed to mean that the interests of the public are being held... To the, uh, are being held as the, the highest priority, not what an individual legislator or, you know, advocacy group or whatever feels like is the best policy. Right. So I
1: I want to kind of, in the interest of time, skip into, we're going to skip over budget bills uh, and JCAB, the Joint Committee on Appropriations and Budget. Looks like it's whole, we
2: could do a whole podcast.
1: That's J-Cab. exactly why we're going to skip it, because we could do it. Um, and, and we will, I'm sure, later in session when JCAB, Becomes a bigger part of our conversation, right? There's always fodder for discussion there. But related to Jacob is another thing called shell bills. Neil, do you know what a shell bill is?
3: Yeah, I think so. What it's, do you What do you think it is? It's a bill that doesn't really do a lot. It's a pretty short bill, um, and it kind of just says, you know, it's a few sentences maybe, and it, you know, maybe declares something or. Mm-hmm authorizes something without a whole lot of language in it
1: right yeah that's exactly right so it's it's a bill that's a shell for other language and they're always called something fun like the oklahoma beverage modernization act of 2020 or the oklahoma insurance modernization act of 20 something like that and every year every session there's often hundreds of these that are filed and they, they file them on purpose because they know...
0: It's like a place marker almost. It is uh, like a
1: place marker. And I, I'll be honest, like I get it, but it always irks me a little bit that it seems like this is like a way to circumvent the actual rules of all the other bills, right? Like, if you know you're going to need it, why don't you just write the bill? And they will say they didn't have time and they're still working the language out and I, I get it, but I just don't like it. So um, the reason I want to bring up shell bills is because they're a big part of the legislative process every year. And yesterday, um, there was an interesting turn of events, uh, somewhat unusual, in the House Rules Committee. Now, we have often joked that the Rules Committee, in both the House and the Senate, is where bills go to die. Often they are assigned to the Rules Committee and never heard from, right? And that's kind of a joke. I think even I think it was Trey Savage from Doc who said that, you know, that's where bills go to die. But maybe now, it's where bills go to fly. Because yesterday... <laughs> Uh, Where's but, where, where the rim shot? Oh, yeah. There Belated. Thank you for that. I was too busy making the joke, and uh, it's not mine. So yesterday in the Rules Committee, they, they had basically a consent docket, which is not uncommon. They, they do this for the Pardon and Parole Board, right? They do this for lots of things. A consent docket is where they say, okay, here's a list of, in this case, 40 bills. Um, we're just going to vote on these with one vote to approve them all and what was unusual about this is that it according to Sean Ashley who's been doing this for about 24 years he can't recall a time this has been done someone said well it's in the rules Sean looked it up it's not actually in the house
2: rules but it's not against the house rules right
1: it's i wish the law applied this way where it's like this is it's not against the law but it's it's not really legal either like it's an ethical gray area and so they they can say well and I think their response was from Leader Echols, um, well, the Democrats used to do it. And I want to be like, what, are you saying that you're a Democrat now? Like, that's, I mean, what a funny argument to make. Like, well, they did it. It's okay. That's like when my what kids... What did Leader
2: Eccles say when you said that to
1: him? I haven't said that to him. <laughs> um, unless he listens. Hello, John. Um, but it's like when my kids fight and, you know, I'm one of them, I get on to my son. He's like, well, she did it too. And I'm like, well, that doesn't... Two wrongs don't make a right, right? So... I, luckily, um, Mr. Savage had tweeted, he was like live tweeting this meeting yesterday and he he listed all of the bills that were on this consent docket. And so I went to look them up today and I spent probably an hour and a half working on this and I went through all of them first and I just said, shell bill, shell bill, because they were all shell bills, as Neil just described for us. And then it occurred to me that I had not clicked on like the amendment tab. I was on the legislature website where you can look up all the bills. And I was like, oh, dang it. And I texted Scott. I'll have to go back and do that again. So I went back through and show enough, all the bills have actual language. That language was inserted at the committee. So basically they came in and said, here's 40 bills that didn't have language yesterday. They all just had a title like the Insurance Modernization Act. And it didn't do anything. It just said, here's the bill, a bill about this. Here's the dates effective. And they said, we're going to amend it. Here's the new language. You know, Strike everything else. And without ever discussing any of them, they were just going to approve the whole chunk at once. Now, again, aside from being unprecedented, there's some pros and cons to this, right? Like, Scott, well, you and I kind of, you said you have mixed feelings about it. What yeah. are those mixed feelings?
2: So, uh, I, I was i was never watched a lot of The Simpsons, but was it Homer Simpson who always said, you know what really grinds my gears? Is that, was that Homer Simpson said that? Or was that from, Is uh, that Family Guy? I don't, I don't know who really just use the one I know that says it. So. Oh, well something this, this
0: <laughs> somebody says
2: something. So here's, here's the deal, right? Like on the one hand, I am not someone like, I think that there are well intentioned advocates of good government who think that like the way the government should work is like every single bill should be like read in committee and debated in committee and questions and answers. And if you do anything less than that, then the government is acting in like secrecy. And I don't feel like that's the case, right? Like there is a bill here that says, uh, let's see, uh, House Bill seventeen ninety nine, that was a shell bill, allows the SOS to publish the statutes each year in electronic form rather than printed, right? Like that's fine, yeah, right. right? Like and so so when you have bills like that, right, that are, and, and the other thing is, there's unfortunately at present there is no easy way to go back and look this up, Neil. I might give you a project. But if you go back and you look every legislative session and you look at the bills that actually pass each chamber and ultimately get signed into law, you will see that a huge number of bills pass each chamber unanimously, right? Like there are a bunch of bills that pass through the legislature and no one objects to them, right? The ones that you hear about on the news, the ones that we talk about here on the show are the ones that get debated, right? But there are a bunch of bills like these 20 they get passed unanimously out of committee and then out of, uh, off the floor. So I don't have a problem with using the, uh, consent agenda as a tool to speed up that process so that there's more time to debate the bills that actually need to be debated. Right. Two caveats. No, wow. Mm. Uh (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. That's okay. And I'm going to, it is just, I don't know if we need to have like a bleeper. It is bullshit to Bleep. say, all right, like, it is bullshit to say that there's a bill that didn't have any language yesterday. We're going to insert language, like, right now mm-hmm. and pass it with unanimous consent. Like, that's, I mean, like, that's... If
1: they all e- knew in advance, you'd be okay with it? That's what you're saying? Like, if they're like, hey, you know, we're going to put all these on there, you knew about them, and then tomorrow we're just going to vote them on as a block.
2: Yeah, I think that's fine, right? Like, And that's what I said to you was that,
1: like... I was like, if I look all these up, and these are just like creating new license plates or tax write-offs or something like that, that are really process bills.
2: Right. Fine, but some of these are not. Right. Like some of these are bills. Like there was a there's a bill under here that reorganizes the Oklahoma Department of Mental Health and Substance Abuse Services and consolidates that under the Healthcare Authority. That's Like cool. that's that's a big deal. Gets right? <laughs> like
0: rid a, of positions. Yeah. Limited like eliminates yeah. yeah.
2: commission. I mean, like there's there I mean there's like um, I mean there's just there's just yeah, <laughs> like there are some bills here that are transforming government. Right, right. Like, that is not what the consent agenda is for. And even if you're not, and and even if you're not trying to put it in a consent agenda, these are not bills that shouldn't have language, like, until you're voting on them in the committee. like Unless you're trying to hide the language.
0: Well, in a couple of podcasts ago, we talked about when the governor made his state of the state address about some of these ideas of government consolidation that what happens to them is dependent upon how it's designed. And so this is definitely an important area that should take um, legislative deliberation, but also input of the stakeholders and and other um, experts who will be impacted by um, the consolidation of 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 these state agencies, these critical state agencies that impact um, the lives of hundreds and thousands of Oklahomans on a daily basis. And so, to your point, it is concerning to use that tool in this time on such an important measure that should have um, an open amount of um, input and accountability to ensure that we're designing this in the right way to be effective and not right, right. And and it's it, and
1: it's not to say that these will not be discussed down the road. certainly these will go through the floor and and likely be discussed if they don't, if they don't discuss them on the floor I'm gonna have issues but um, I think I get them trying to move it along and I get that they have an enormous number of bills they got to hear every year and a short amount of time to do it. however, there are other ways to deal with that. They could limit the number of bills. They could extend the legislative session. I mean,
2: they do limit the number of bills. At least in the House, they limit the number of bills. But a lot of people just ignore it.
1: Well, and leadership can file as many as they want. And... Yeah, and the Senate has unlimited numbers, and a, but it's and also a, big, a
0: decision to allow right. it to be heard yes, on the right. very last day of right. They've had weeks of consideration. A so.
2: big chunk of shell bills are filed by leadership too, right? Like, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, most of like these were Eccles or McCall you know, or somebody. So. but like, I mean, I do think it's telling. I mean, you said there's there's 20 bills originally on the consent agenda. And I just kind of 14 shell bills here, right? So, like 75 percent of the consent agenda is are bills that didn't have language until it's time and and i also i want to be clear too right like i'm not saying that ever the purpose of not putting language in every one of the shell bills until time for the committee is like nefarious right like because i don't i don't actually think that's the case but what it absolutely does do is it undermines people's trust in government and the process right like it like it may be like it it may be fine right like i don't I don't know that it's critical that every legislator have access to the bill that says you allow the SOS to publish the statutes each year in electronic rather than printed form like a week in advance. But the problem is when you do that with 75% of the bills and some of them are big deals, Mm -hmm. it looks terrible and it undermines trust in the system. Right, right.
0: No, Absolutely. And also when it comes to these big ticket items, we want our lawmakers to be making informed votes. And it's tough to make informed votes on important things if you don't have even a day to be able to review the language and ask questions in a substantive way. Mm -hmm. And so I think it even puts committee members in a bad place because if they're voting yes on a measure that they haven't even had time to read Mm -hmm. and then there's challenges with it down the line, then... We're, we're putting our lawmakers in a place where they're not making informed decisions. And this is
1: why people are like, well, just go look at their voting record. I'm like, that voting record doesn't always reflect what you think it reflects, sure. right? Sometimes they voted on stuff and then they didn't know, right? And and we'll get, Neil, you can mark your calendar for the middle of May because we will revisit this discussion when it's budget season because every year the budget, which is like $8 billion and really- An
0: omnibus bill.
1: Right. A huge thing that they talk about all year they
0: slide it in at the last day.
1: Same thing. They'll, like, pop it up in J-Cab at 10 o'clock at night, and the lawmakers, you know, half of them are like, we just now saw this, we have to vote on it, and then they rush the vote, and they leave the vote open for 30 minutes, and half of them leave the building, and they sit there, and it's straight-up political theater. And it gets passed, and then we move on down the road. And sometimes we deal with horrendous cuts, so. You know what really grinds my gears? Nobody's come up with a new priest and a rabbi joke in, like, 30 years, you know?
2: There you See, go. It's family not guy. just me. It's no, Family
1: Guy. There you go. Um, I just want to play that for you, Scott. So let's. Um, I appreciate that. All right. So, real quick, we'll talk about the other method, um, and maybe I'll take this one um, about how laws are made, and that is the initiative petition process, right? This is from from the people. Neil and I have spent a lot of time the last two weeks discussing this. Um, and so, the, the way this happens is, again, same thing. The idea originates with a person, group, organization inside outside the state whatever someone hatches the idea language has to be written right and so usually it's an attorney or someone who knows what they're doing um or you you borrow it from somewhere else and initiative petitions or ballot initiatives can take a few different forms one they can be a referendum which would be like undoing a bill the legislature just passed like in the last few months and earlier this year we saw that with the a permitless carry that was passed, I guess, last year. um, And they tried to do a referendum on that and were not successful. The other type is a statutory change or or, a regular law, right? Just making a law. And then the third type is a constitutional amendment. And each of those has different requirements for the number of signatures you have to collect. I think we've talked about this some on the show.
0: Well, the second one that you mentioned, it's the legislature saying... Let's let the people decide.
1: Oh yeah, that's a fourth one. Sorry, that's like a legislatively referred measure, mm-hmm. um, and so yeah. So there are some bills. And in fact, we'll talk about that here in just a second. It's um, that the legislature can pass a measure, and so if, if the legislature wants to amend the constitution, they have to give it to a vote of the people. They can't do it on their own, and and then certain anything else that deals with the constitution. And when you got a big long, six hundred page hairy doc, or you know document of a constitution. There's a lot of stuff in there that you have to amend, even when you think you might not need to. So, what's interesting about this is that you know, over the last couple of years, there's every almost every year there's five to seven state questions. Some of those come from the people, some of those come from the legislature. Um, notable ones in the last few years: medical marijuana, the alcohol modernization laws, or like the um, wine in in grocery stores. Um,
0: Criminal justice.
1: Criminal justice reform, right? 780 and 781. Um, There's been attempts at them, like uh, there's an attempted teacher pay raise. There was the eye doctors in Walmart. Um, there's a whole bunch of stuff. The
0: Ten Commandments.
1: That's right, getting the Ten Commandments. Yeah, there's lots of, lots of bills. So five to seven every year. And right now, as we talked about in last week's episode, we've got, I think, six or seven that have been proposed this year, none of which have been officially assigned to a ballot yet, Uh, But we've got Medicaid expansion, we've got criminal justice, um, independent redistricting, some recreational marijuana, um, another bill that would rewrite the permitless carry bill. Um, And then there may be a a couple of legislative referred measures as well because of this. Because Oklahoma is one of 20-something states that has the ability to do what we call direct democracy, right? So, like, the people can pass the law themselves. Our founding fathers put that in our constitution because they knew that we couldn't always rely on our elected officials to pass the laws we need. Sometimes they might not want to do it for whatever reason, political reasons, personal reasons, and sometimes it's got to come from the people.
0: One well, the best example is the challenges with the budget a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, the legislature had trouble raising revenue because of a state question that we passed. And so we saw several, um, state questions that either dealt with teacher pay raises and and other things to try to help make those decisions. Since the legislature had trouble for 30 years to raise revenue. They hadn't, they
1: hadn't raised revenue since 1990. Um, because there was a state question in 1992 that requires that now requires a 75% majority in both chambers in order to do that. So this week also, um, Things that pass out of committee. There was uh, a bill that will make some rather significant changes to the initiative petition process, like specifically the the, the form that you use, uh, the form you sign. So if you've ever signed a petition, you have to write really tiny. You have to write your name and your address and your city, but not the state, and then the county, and it has to all be where you are registered to vote, whether you live there right now or not. That's what they're looking for, and this new form would be. I think, a little bit simpler, but you would have it, it would be like a standardized medical billing form almost, like where you write one letter in each box so that it can be scanned in and like read by software if you write legibly enough. And the whole goal of this is that they would be able to immediately check to see if these people who signed are actually registered voters in this state. So that's a big deal. Um, It would also, I think, make another change that it would it would, right now, the Secretary of State, when they receive signatures, assumes that they're all valid. And they kind of do a spot check, like making sure that you know, Mickey Mouse hasn't signed or that all of them on one page aren't the same handwriting that would be suspicious like someone wrote them in themselves. This would actually empower the Secretary of State to automatically do the, the validity check right away, which is a big deal. There's another bill um, that would change when a state question becomes an actual state question, when it becomes a campaign. So right now when you file, the Secretary of State gives you your state question number right up front. So like when we filed a few weeks ago, we got state question 810. Like they write out on the piece of paper right that day. But we don't have to start, and, and no state question has to start disclosing finances um, until it's actually on the ballot, because the view is until it's actually on the ballot, it's not a real measure. And this would change that to be upfront, So it'd be like the moment you file, which I get, that's the same thing with like candidates, right? Like once you file your candidacy, you have to start doing disclosures from then on. And so it's the same kind of thing. And then um, perhaps more interesting, there is a, a joint resolution, the Senate joint resolution from, um, I forget who the senator is, but it would call for a constitutional convention. And we mentioned this, I think last week. I'm, I'm optimistic, right? I think most people agree that we, there's some things that need to be done to edit it. Right. And we have this huge document and actually by state law, aren't we supposed to have a convention every 20 years? Yes. And we haven't had one for 50, 50 years. So this is like a funny thing where like they already violating the law. So they propose it. Another law because they have to have a, I think it has to have a ballot initiative for a vote of the people to say, yes, they want to do it. Um, and so I we will see what happens.
0: I mean, we were also supposed to have education funding set by April 1st That's and right. then that was never met. So,
1: right. And they just repealed that. So they don't have to break the law every year like they did for 30 years. Sure. Um, what's interesting about this is that given the heat, I think that, that state questions have been taking from, um, certain groups, the fact that they, it seems suspicious or at least questionable to me that they are all of a sudden now, if they haven't done it for 50 years, like, oh, well, now we need to have a convention. And I wonder if at least part of the motivation for that is so they can go back in and undo some of these, the will of the people, right? Like, there's things that even this year they've tried to file bills that would undo State Question 780 and 781. Um, there's a lot of stuff they've tried to undo, their efforts to stop redistricting and
2: other things. It seems a little... Seemed a little suspicious. Did you? Do you talk about the other joint resolution that would change state questions? No, the House one. Yeah, it it's would. Not, so there's a House joint resolution that says you have to. You. Can, <laughs> this is some. This one, uh, it's also grinds my gears. So right now you just have to get a depending on the exact exactly the kind of question whether it's like a state question or a veto referendum there's a threshold of signatures that you have to get. <coughs> First cough. Um. And currently, you just have to go around the state and you have to get those signatures, right? So this joint resolution, and I want to say this is like House Joint Resolution 1217 or something like that. What this would do is it would say you have to get like an equal number of signatures from every county. I think it's every congressional district. Every congressional district. All right. But what that would essentially do is, in my opinion... Because right now, the author of the joint resolution says it's a problem because you can go to Tulsa, Oklahoma City, and get all the signatures that you need. Um, so, I wish that was the case. Well,
0: because it's based off of a percentage of right, the number the of vote. voters yeah. who participated in a previous election. And right. it would
1: actually change that number as well to be
2: a percentage of total registered voters. It would basically double the number of signatures you need. Yes, you have to get way more signatures. You have to get them from all the congressional districts. So it would so make uh, it harder. So make yeah, it, yeah, it would make it way harder. And it would allow, in my opinion, um, the more like rural, more definitively rural congressional districts essentially veto power over state questions.
1: Right. It just makes it more expensive, right? Like, because people are still going to, you know, pay collection firms to come in and help out. Every congressional district has a roughly equal population, but, you know, in Senate C- or CD5 here, it's like Oklahoma County and part of Potawatomi County. It's really compact. You can really hit a lot of folks as opposed to driving around district two that spans like 30% of the state um, and trying to go to small towns and all that. So it's still possible, but yeah, much more harder. And I, I would argue it essentially like guts and like eliminates the initiative petition power, which is what they're trying to do without doing it because Oklahomans really care about that. Like we believe that the will of the people is important. And so.
0: Well, and that the people should have the opportunity to weigh in on decisions. And so it means that voters will have limited opportunity to make decisions on policies that will affect them. So when we sign on to different, um, those those signature campaigns to get something onto the ballot. That doesn't even mean that you necessarily support the measure, but rather you support the ability for Oklahomans to make a decision on this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so if we make it harder for things to go onto the ballot, then that means we're taking that decision power away from voters across the state. So it's not even just about you know urban areas, but right. now Oklahomans won't be able to, to have a say on whether or not they want x issue that's being right. brought to right the ballot
1: right yeah so that's it is just a fascinating thing also it's it's funny to me and i'll you know i'm, I'm not a, a political analyst or anything but it does strike me as odd that they would try to to limit the power of the people in an election year when there is other state questions proposed that would actually limit their power right like this is this has been wildly unpopular in the past, and and if it, they get it on the ballot and they really put it out there, I think it's gonna it's gonna blow up in their face, right? Agreed. <laughs> All right. Well, enough about um, how bills become laws and how laws are made. Let's uh, take a very quick break, and then we'll come right back and talk about the primary election in Oklahoma. <laughs> Okay, that was our break. Great, we're back. And uh, so let's um, let's look ahead to next week. So while Oklahoma's in-state legislative primary isn't until June, our presidential primary is next Tuesday, March 3rd, along with 13 other states, which is why it's often referred to as Super Tuesday.
0: Super Tuesday. It's the
1: most primaries on the same day, right? <laughs> and so um, it's a big deal. So let's, there are roughly a bajillion people that are actually running. There's primaries in both parties.
0: And before we go into that, I think it's yeah. important to remind the listeners that early voting is taking place. And so started on Thursday, is the 27th? Yeah, yesterday. Yeah. yeah, so started yesterday the 27th. Um, and then today on the 28th, tomorrow, Saturday the 29th. Um, and so if you go to... OK.gov slash elections, you can see where you can get information of where you go to vote because you go to your county election board to vote Mm -hmm. early. And then on Super Tuesday, which is the second, right? Second or third? The third. 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 So March 3rd, then you go to your actual polling place. And so go to OK.gov slash elections to get the details on where you need to go and you have options to either early vote or go vote on Tuesday. So
1: I, I, I will say that there are, as I mentioned, there's, there are, and you bo- you voted today, Bailey. I see your I Voted sticker. did. I, I got my sticker. sticker. Since I recently became a notary, I just purchased a roll of I Voted stickers on Amazon. Should be here today so that I can give people their sticker if I notarize their absentee ballot.
0: Oh, that's really cool.
1: Nice. I'm excited about that. Um, uh, so on Tuesday or this year, there's there's a primary for both parties. Although we're not going to really talk much about the Republican side because we all assume that President Trump
2: oh, we,
0: is going to be their nominee.
2: Yeah, that's a, I think they're fair, that's fair, <laughs> yeah. fair guess. There is
1: a, there is a candidate running named Zoltan
2: though. Oh, there's like five people on the uh, Republican ballot. Yeah. But isn't Zoltan, what movie was that with it? Zoltan, they did a little hand thing. Don't mess with the Zohan. Wasn't that a movie? Maybe. Anyway. Well,
0: and there was also a couple of questions on my ballot at least. So I don't Mm. know if it's statewide or if it's just in my area. But again, go to OK.gov slash elections to see your sample ballot to see what's going to be on there. There But I did see a question about whether or not we would allow um, alcohol sales on Sundays. That's right. Liquor stores on Sundays. Scott's (laughs) excited.
1: (laughs) A lot of of booze after church
2: there, sir. Well, not now. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> and then for the listeners in Oklahoma City, there's one about um a believe a penny sells to, or like there's a, like a it's like a tenth of a penny. Tenth here. of a penny um, to go towards uh local parks. Right. So yeah. and that was fund. an
1: initiative petition at the city level, which I ah. just learned you can actually do. So um lots
0: of ways to get engaged in your government. Government's great. Right. And that's
1: yeah. So um looking at then the The main event, I guess, for the the primary season is the Democratic primary, right? And um, there's been a bunch of debates on TV. That's been just a, sh- just a couple. That's been a shit show. I'll be honest. Um, that was I. I haven't even watched a whole one in a while because they've been a little intense. Um, you
2: see Bloomberg saying he bought the he bought twenty nine yeah.
1: houses. Yes, <laughs> we could have a whole other show just with hot takes about what's happening there but there's plenty of those shows out there uh scott i see that you have one of our favorite websites pulled up in fact i'm wearing my 538 t-shirt totally on accident but um and what i
2: see on your screen it says who will win the oklahoma primary well i i want to i want to talk about the 538 forecast so we'll but i'm i am curious i mean we're going to cheat here because i've got it pulled up but i'm curious uh neil you're what what are you you're hearing from uh Folks, your age. I would say you're in the young. You're you're a young person. You yeah. can't vote. I know. I, I, I'm uh, a I'm
3: one month too young to vote in the primary. How much? Well, does that that's suck? some. I mean, that's some he can bias. vote in the general though, that's
2: right? Some, that's general. Some, that's but are you pre
0: registered Because you can pre-register and be the, ready for that general.
3: Uh, I'm not registered
2: yet. Well, I will. Oh, we're going to make that happen. <laughs> we will yeah. take care of that. <laughs> uh, but I mean, he so he can't. But he's. I'm sure he's got a lot of friends that can vote. Um, he's in the mm-hmm. young person. What do you? Who the people you talk to? Who who are they? they're going to vote for? What yeah. You- so I have a lot of friends.
3: Um, I think my friends are mostly either Bernie supporters or, uh, Warren supporters. Um, and Buddha judge is a popular, I think a lot among, um, some people I know who maybe aren't as politically involved as other people. Um, I haven't heard a lot of Biden or Bloomberg. I haven't heard, I don't have any friends who are Bloomberg supporters. <laughs> um, I mean, everybody's, you know, I think his advertisements have become kind of a, Funny thing for people my
2: age people kind of make fun of them. They're sure everywhere the folks your age that are that are pulling for Senator Warren or for Bernie Sanders What what's the what's the reason why why do you feel like those two candidates are popular among among the young folks?
3: Yes, yeah, so I think uh, Bernie was got a lot of I um, became very popular in 2016 when he ran in the primary among people Almost all my friends that were Democrats were um people that would have supported Bernie over Clinton in the 2016 primary. So I think he has a lot of goodwill already built in among people here, especially younger voters. And I think with um, Warren too, I think people are kind of, uh, they're not really excited by Biden or especially, I mean, I don't know, it might even be excited by Bloomberg, um, but they're not, they don't, they Re- don't get Republican. out of bed. Yeah. Well, I know I do have some friends who are Republicans, but the people that are Democrats, they don't really get out of bed for Biden or, Um, Bloomberg, um, but there is more of an appetite for um, Bernie, Warren, um, all my kids, kids that my age are going to be going to college soon, so a lot of them um, are interested in free college or um, getting student loan debt paid off, um, because I know a lot of people that are looking into student loans right now, Um, Medicare for all, healthcare, uh, those, those kind of signature Bernie foreign
2: policies, I think, are popular. Sure. And, Billy, I was going to ask you, like, you're in your circles, your community, who do you, people you talk to, who do you hear in?
0: Well, the fascinating thing about looking at Democrats, not just in Oklahoma, but across the the state, there's just such a wide range of where people are falling and how they're making their decision on who they're going to vote in this primary season. So I've read, folks who will support Bloomberg because they feel like he is most equipped to pair against Donald Trump in this season. Um, but I've also heard of folks who are Bernie supporters because of some of the reasons that, that you mentioned. Um, I know of some folks who are Biden supporters um, who are moderate Democrats. Um, but then there are a lot of people who are encouraged by um, Pete Buttigieg and um, what he represents and his ability to uh, connect with different communities. And so um, it's it's just a wide range of what I've read of who people are supporting. But then also there's still a significant number of people who aren't impressed with any of the candidates sure. and are finding Challenges and figuring out who they want to support in in this season, and so it's going to be really critical that Democrats figure out who that candidate is going to be and and what happens next for them.
2: Andy, what are you what are you hearing? Circles you run in?
1: I hear a lot of folks that don't know. My mother in law has asked me at least three times in the past two weeks when she's come over to see the baby, like
2: who she should vote for. Or no,
1: who just like who you it? vote. She's like, who you vote for? I was like, you know, I don't know. I haven't even really looked at anything yet. And uh, I'm, I'm a registered independent, so the Democratic primary is the only one in which I can vote. And, and she's like, I don't know either. So I think, and I think, uh, Scott, well, I'll pass it back to you here as we um, kind of wrap up in the last few minutes. But it sounds like th- the, the indecision is the story this year, right? That there are a number of candidates that are roughly tied, and it's been, they've kind of traded places, you know, a point or two here and there. Um, over the last few primaries. What's it looking like for Oklahoma?
2: Yeah, so now this is, again, this is coming from uh, 538.com. This is Nate Silver's website, um, which is also associated with ABC News. Um, this is the first year that they've actually done a primary forecast, and it's really, really interesting. Um, um, we I could talk all forever about why i think it's so why i think it's so fascinating but according to their forecast they have uh vice president biden as the favorite to win uh the <coughs> in oklahoma but um not by much so they're forecasting that uh president vice president biden will win with uh, 24% of the vote in oklahoma uh, in 80% of their simulations and i think they run 10,000 simulations per cycle roughly Um, he wins between 14 and 34% of the vote. So, uh, you know, a 10% margin of error on either side, um, they're giving him a two in five or a 41% chance of winning the most votes, uh, which is slightly better than the second place, uh, the second most likely person, which is mayor Bloomberg, um, Mayor Bloomberg is forecasted to win 23% of the vote in Oklahoma to Vice President Biden's 24%, uh, and in 80% of simulations, he wins between 14 and 32, and he's at a 32% chance. And then coming in third at 21% of the vote is Senator Bernie Sanders. Uh, uh, so you've got Biden at 24, Mayor Bloomberg at uh, 23, and Senator Sanders at 21%. So I mean, all like right there together.
0: Well, and Scott, I'll mention that one thing we have to keep in mind about maybe like the the psychology, sociology within voting trends is that most people vote on name recognition and those that they know. Um, And in this season, uh, Joe Biden was a vice president, so his name is a common household name. Bloomberg has given out so much literature (laughs) and has dominated the airway and television space, so there's a lot of folks who – Um, are familiar with his name, whether they wanted to or not. Um, And then with uh, Bernie Sanders have uh, been the, um, of winning Oklahoma this past. I think that's an important thing to note of what could contribute to those three candidates in particular leading in in Oklahoma should it turn out that way. And I guess we'll see on Tuesday.
1: Yeah, well, because a lot of things might still impact that, right? So
2: South Carolina's Mm -hmm. primary is... Tomorrow, tomorrow, Saturday. So South, so South Carolina votes tomorrow, and what's really interesting, and what makes twenty twenty a little bit different than what's happened in the past. So in two thousand eight, in two thousand eight, for instance, uh, you know, Barack Obama's running against Hillary Clinton. So he uh, won in Iowa um, fairly. Uh, I don't want to say narrowly, but like I mean, it was a, it was a, a solid win in Iowa. It's mm-hmm. still a surprise though. Um, was yeah. was then expected to win New Hampshire, but didn't. And then Senator Clinton actually won the vote in Nevada, but uh, Senator Obama, President Obama, uh, got the most delegates out of Nevada. But then a uh, President Obama then had a resounding victory in South Carolina, which is a much larger African American voting community. Yes, but then um, Super Tuesday, instead of being three days later, Senator uh, Super Tuesday was 10 days later. Oh, yeah. That's and, really close this year, right? And the reason that matters is because one of the things that um, President Biden, Vice President, oh, I keep saying President Biden, Vice President Biden's campaign is struggling with a little bit right now is cash. They, they are a little bit cash strapped. They don't have a lot of advertising going in to Super Tuesday. They just this week um, laid down their ad buys for Super Tuesday, whereas candidates like, uh, yeah. Candidates like uh, Senator Sanders, Mayor Bloomberg, have been buying millions of dollars in ad time for several weeks now. So they've got those ads reserved. Um, the Vice President's campaign was only 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 had the cash to do that this this week. I'm surprised that Bloomberg didn't have them all bought already. However, the the key factor here is if President <sighs> Vice, if Vice President Biden, um, or what? Joe Biden, the sense of Joe the candidate. Yeah. I try I try really hard to call them like whatever because like it really. Like, it really annoys me, um, particularly with Hillary Clinton, because everybody just like calls her Hillary, like as if they like know her and she's like not a former first lady of the United States and secretary of state and senator from New York. And so I try to call them by their title, but it gets tongue tied. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. So um, what's 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 unique about this situation is that the vice president doesn't really have any money. But if he wins South Carolina by a significant margin tomorrow, um, which right now he's projected to win by 20 points, if that happens, I think there will be a huge wave of media coverage. Like, is the president, is the vice president back? Is his campaign, you know, like, are they back on their feet? Does he have a chance? And that is a media cycle that could easily go from Saturday night into Tuesday morning Mm -hmm. and be at the top of people's minds when they're entering their polling place. On Tuesday, mm-hmm. right? Like I would not be a media, a media cycle that you could sustain for 12 days. And in fact, what happened in 2008 is that president Obama <coughs> had a massive victory in South Carolina, but then lost like in California mm-hmm. on super Tuesday. Um, but I've listened to some podcasts and read a lot of articles by folks that worked in the, uh, Obama administration and, and they're all thinking like, man, like if we had had super Tuesday, Like three days after South Carolina, I think I think we could have won. Like in California, and so I don't know to what extent that's going to be true. But it's going to be a next like really interesting next four days if you like watching horse race politics.
0: Sure.
1: Yeah, I think um, it's going to be a really interesting interesting day next Tuesday. Um, So because we'll just find out. I don't. Who knows, right?
2: Like this whole this whole cycle has been a little weird to me it has and like you know andy and i have our like perpetual never ending 24 7 text stream about all this stuff and like lately it's been like you know debate night i was like are you watching the debate and i'm like no nah, man i just i i just can't he's like yeah i'm i'm going to bed yeah, But like I, I was like i'll keep you updated and then i went to bed at like 8 yeah. <laughs> 15 but then like in the last i mean really honestly like in the last week i've like as it's gotten kind of closer to super Tuesday and the horse race has gotten more interesting. I'm like, I'm like, I'm in it now. I'm, <laughs> I'm like, like reading everything and on Twitter all the time. Cause, um, like even, I mean, I, I have my own, like who I think I'll vote for and who I would really like to see win and who I think will be the best president. But, um, at this point, like no matter who it is, I just like really, it's just exciting.
3: Yeah. I think politics oftentimes can become sports in a way. And it feels like, uh, for a lot of these guys that don't have as much money like biden i mean south carolina is kind of an elimination game for him you know uh, he's kind of bounced back but if bernie's able to you know win which you know a couple of days ago he was tied in south carolina um, it's very possible biden you know like uh, you were saying doesn't get any of the money that he needs to you know advertise in some of the super tuesday states and in new york and some of the states that are later you know a lot of the other moderate candidates klobuchar um This is kind of their last chance to make a statement before they just run out of money and they can't keep going. Yeah,
1: Steyer's dropped more money there than anybody else, I think. Dude, that guy, he needs to go away. Well, I guess by next week we will have found out who the winner is, unless we're all dead in a coronavirus outbreak. We should have an episode about the impact of the coronavirus on the electorate. If 2% of the population dies or something.
0: Or the impact on Corona.
1: Right. That's right. That's right. We saw today uh, CNN International had tweeted that 38% of Americans would not buy Corona beer because of Coronavirus. The two are not connected, as I'm sure our listeners all know. Anyway, that brings us to the end of this episode. Thank you, Neil the Intern, Bailey Perkins, Scott Nelson. Thank you all. Don't forget to subscribe and rate the pod on apple podcast and on spotify uh, you can connect with us on twitter and instagram at let's fix this okay scott is at sc melson bailey is at bailey m perkins me andy is at andyokc neil are you on twitter i am on twitter do you want to share you don't have to
0: uh i'm okay right now all
1: right that's good i don't know if there's rules about minors on twitter well, um And then uh, you can also like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Let's Fix This Okay. Our website's let'sfixthisok.org. Check out all the details on there. We're working on a big renovation of the website, so stay tuned for that in hopefully a few weeks. Our theme music is Rhino Funk by the artist So Down. Let's Fix This is a non-partisan, non-profit organization who strives to educate and equip all Oklahomans to engage with their government. We encourage you to get involved any way you can. Remember, decisions are made by those who show up. Don't forget to vote.